All right, we'll open up in a, another word of prayer. Dear Father, we pray that you would uh, bless the, the reading and the teaching of your word. Uh, pray that you would work in our hearts and use your spirit in us. You would take me out of it and just just have your spirit working in it. We praise you for the, the time to gather together and learn your word. Keep working in us in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so Luke chapter 10. I'm going to start by reading verses 1 through 12. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, Even the dust of your town that clings to our feet we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Okay, so before I really get into the, you know, going right through the verses of it, I wanted to say the sending out of the 72, well, first I guess I should say 72 or 70. They're not really, uh, there's a, a note at the bottom of mine that says 70, and then a lot of the commentaries I was reading just kind of like went with that it's 70, and there's a couple reasons why that we'll get to that. Um, I think in my notes I kept saying 72 because that's what my Bible said, but just when I say that, 72 or 70. Um, so this only appears in Luke. It's not in any of the other Gospels. Um, we do see, uh, in actually, the last chapter in Luke, if you recall, uh, Jesus sent out the 12 apostles, and it's a very similar uh, structure and feel and what he tells them to do. Um, not only is that in the beginning of Luke 9, it's also in Matthew 10 and Mark 6, where he sends out the 12 apostles. Um, like I said, it's a very similar, like kind of the way he does it is very similar, but this, is, this comes a bit later on and there's a couple differences. Uh, one of the difference, one difference is that when Jesus sent the 72 out, and we see here, in verse, right in verse 1 of chapter 10, it says, after this, so I look back and say, like, well, what's it after? And we see that one of the main things going on at this point that Mark touched on last week was the Samaritan village rejecting Jesus. Um, and in that, it says, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And so back down to verse 1 in chapter 10, when he says, after this, you know, so he's on his way to Jerusalem. Like, it's, it's near for him to be taken up. This is, uh, you know, he's, he's preparing to die. Um, and so this seems to be kind of more like a last tour of good news uh, on his way to the cross, which, which I think if you think of it in context too, that kind of, I think, more explains the declarations of woe to the unrepentant cities that we'll get to uh, in a little bit here. Basically, He's on his way to die. He's given the last, you know, having the news, the, the 
news of the kingdom being near proclaimed one more time, and they're not they're not taking it. And it's like, time's up. Uh, he'd given them every opportunity, and they had not turned to him. Another difference between the seventy-two and the twelve is it makes it clear here. I think also yeah, also in verse one that sent them on ahead of him two by two into every town and place where he himself was about to go. That these 72 are specifically to basically go in front of him to a town that he's about to go to. And that is not the case with when he sends out the 12. That They seem to be more like an extension of, you know, we can cover more ground if, if I send you guys out. But this is more of a, you know, go ahead of me to the towns I am coming to. And... Guess it time. And then I also wanted to talk a little bit about the obvious difference that there were 12 apostles and there were 72 of these guys. Um, and a couple of things on that. Well, one, I think it's an encouraging to think that, like, because there's some times where you see it where it seems like when people leave Jesus, we're like, oh, it's down to just the 12. That's it. You know, but there, there were more than just 12 people. And we see that with, like, the women that followed Jesus, that were close followers of Jesus and right with him the whole time. And so here we see that, yeah, there were, there were a bit more than 12. He selected the 12 out of people, and maybe these guys weren't with him all the time, but these were 72 pretty devout disciples of Jesus that were after him. And, and thinking about these 72, I believe in Acts chapter 1, it t- uh, maybe when they draw lots, there was something I saw in a commentary where it said there were 128 that they like got it down to that they were like, yeah, we were, you were with Jesus for everything. Um, probably a lot of these guys were in that group. Um, anyway, so expanding the number to 72 instead of 12, I think a lot of the reasoning happens in verse 2, that the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And... I think that gets across the idea good that, uh, that uh, gets gets the idea across here that there is urgency to get this message out. Jesus got a few days left, and the harvest and work is too much for twelve. And also thinking that Jesus is going to Jerusalem, he might be on a little bit of a time crunch. He's could be traveling relatively quickly, and getting more people out lets uh, lets more towns be prepared for him to come, and. So when I say, you know, they're going like preparing places and towns for Jesus, if you, you look through what, he, what, they, what they were doing here, they were healing the sick and they were proclaiming the message. So these things, when Jesus came to a town, would have already been done. There wouldn't have been like a crowd of sick people, you know, like heal us because they were, they were healed. And the general message would have been proclaimed. Jesus' stops would have been quicker, allowing him to stop a lot more places and see a lot more people before he went to Jerusalem for the last time. And I also, I just the point here of that, that I think part of Jesus' earthly ministry and part of his heart was that he did not want anybody in Israel to perish without hearing the good news, hearing the message. That it wasn't for lack of hearing, that he made sure that the people knew what the message was. Also, just the fact that, like I said, these 72 were probably a lot of the early church, uh, I don't know if pillars, because that was like the apostles, but next to pillars. <laughs> and this is, this is a pretty valuable experience to have Jesus, you know, 
telling you what to do and going out and, and proclaiming the gospel. So I think this is also building up the start of the church a bit here. Uh, now, as I've kind of contrasted the difference between the 72 and the 12, I want to point out some of the similarities. Uh, one, of the, one of them is, or no, I'll just go through a few of them. So like the 12, they went out in pairs. They were to take nothing. So it says, uh, carrying no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, greet no one on the road. They were to heal the sick. The same thing about shaking the dust off their feet if they're not received. And the message is also pretty much the same. The 12 are told to proclaim the kingdom of God, while the 72 are told to say, the kingdom of God has come near to you. Um, so, yeah, like I said, they're very similar. Seems to be the similar message, similar similar style. They want to, he wants them to go with nothing and heal the sick. And if he's there, they're his ambassadors. If they're not, if they reject them, they reject Christ. Now, so that's kind of the similarities and differences. Now I'll get more into the actual chapter. So chapter ten. So right off the bat, the 72, I already talked about the difference of like 70, 72, take it for what you will. Um, but if we assume 70, it suddenly becomes a very not random number. In Exodus 24, if you recall the story where Moses goes up to Mount Sinai and God tells him to take 70 elders with him. Um, and then also in Exodus 15, and I thought this was pretty interesting. Uh, the Israelites come to Elam, and it says there were 12 wells of water and 70 palm trees around uh, that the people of, of God encamped around. And so, yeah, like I said, just interesting. There's like 12 sources of water and, and 70 palm trees. You try to, I don't know, just make, make an analysis there if you want. It might be a little bit of a stretch, but the numbers matching is interesting. Now, a couple other non-biblical uh, things that this potentially could have, I guess this one's slightly biblical, that there were 70 members of the Sanhedrin. So again, this might be a stretch too, but could be kind of a statement that like, you know, the 70 members of the Sanhedrin and here's 70 of my guys is kind of like a new order. We're no longer, we're no longer like functioning with the Sanhedrin laws. We're functioning with my disciples. And then the last one that, I, that a lot of people mentioned was that, so when the Hebrew Bible was translated into Greek, it was, so the Greek Bible is called the Septuagint. It was uh, an Egyptian king that had this done. And it was, you know, pretty, pretty big news, obviously, for the, for the Hebrews, the Jews. So like Jesus definitely would have known this. And the Egyptian king hired 70 translators to do this. And so potentially he's making a statement here of kind of saying that like I'm translating, uh, you know, this is, this is my translation of, of my words, of the word into everyday life. You know, my 70 disciples going out and healing the sick and proclaiming the good news. Again, take those for what you will. Just thought they were a little bit of interesting reasonings why he may have picked 70. Um, so yeah, I kind of glossed over this and I'm sure whoever did Luke 9 talked about this, but don't want to overlook that they went out in pairs that, and I think this is very applicable to our lives that, that ministering alone, really, you know, doing your life or walking alone is not, 
is not good. We see that right in the beginning with Adam and it can be countless examples. If you try to go it alone, a fall is coming. And just the idea that two brothers or two sisters in the Lord, how they can encourage and exhort one another, how they can help avoid pitfalls and getting each other through difficult times. And yeah, oh yeah, this is the stretch where like all the kids' books I've read with my kids in the last like month or two all come up. So right now we're reading Little Pilgrim's Progress. And it just made me think of that a lot because uh, Christian is, first he's got uh, Faithful, you know, but then Faithful gets killed at Vanity Fair, and then he's got his uh, Hopeful joins him. Anyway, just you can see it as they're trying to follow, follow the good king and get to the celestial city. Having two of them makes a big difference when one of them's like, oh, you know, like is distracted or something and goes, that looks really nice. Do you think it'd be okay if we just popped off the path just this once? And the other one's like, no, you have to stay on the path. And then, you know, the next chapter, the other one's like, I'm really tired. I think I just want to lay down and sleep. And, you know, the other one grabs him up and is like, you can't sleep right here. You'll get taken. And, you know, so I just, I thought that was a good picture of two, two brothers. They protect one another. I mean, we all have our have our times when we're about to fall, where we're going to make mistakes and having a close brother with you, uh, whether it be in ministering or just in trying to walk in, in your life with the Lord, is, is very, uh, very helpful in, in uh, preventing a lot, of, a lot of trouble. And so obviously Jesus sends them out two by two and it makes a lot of sense. And so I already touched on this too, but in verse 2, I want to read it again. And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest and send out laborers into his harvest. And so I just, when I read that and I really think about it, I, hi, Royal. <laughs> um, there's, a, there's an urgency that really is evident to me, an urgency that unfortunately a lot of times I don't, I don't feel it that much. But then when I read this, I feel convicted that I really need to feel more urgent about it. Um, and next kid's book that we read not that long ago is Little House on the Prairie. And it just, like I thought of it here because a lot of times, you know, they've got their harvest out there and they know the, fr- the first frost is coming. And if the frost comes, you know, it's certain, whatever it is, say whatever crop, you know, it's done, it's gone. And that's what they're going eat to eat in the winter. So if they don't get it in, they're going to starve. Um, and so, you know, I thought in those books it conveyed a different sense of that than we have now, because we don't really have that type of sense. But just like when something's ripe and out there, like got to get it in, like, and they'd be like, kids, you're helping. I don't care that you're four. Um, we're getting up at 4 a.m. We're working until 11 p.m., we're going to go to bed and we're going to wake up at 4 a.m. and do it again the next day until this is done because if we don't get this food in, it's going to be a really hard winter. Um, and like I said, we don't really have that type of mentality with a lot of time, a lot of things today because we live in such uh, luxury and the technology, I mean, advancements and not saying that that's bad, but we've certainly lost a little bit of, of that farming analogy there. And yeah, so looking at it just... The harvest is plentiful. And I just think about, too, all the people out there that need to hear the word. And, like, we don't know. Like, some, like God knows, but some of them, you know, they might not be ripe. They might not be ready. They, they might not ever be ripe. Um, 
But there's a lot of people out there that we don't know one way or the other. Maybe all they're waiting, all they need is to hear the good news and God has just got them prepared and is ready to just like, you know, work in their heart. And, you know, for all we know, there's lots of people out there like that. And so you just, you know, see the, I think it was in John 2 or 3, where he like looks out and sees the fields that are white. And so I'm just picturing that, and the laborers are few, and that just, I think it's just very convicting to be, you know, we can be those laborers, that we should be those laborers, and yet a lot of times we get distracted with a lot of other things. And then also, another thing that I'm not good at, therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And first of all, the Lord of the harvest, like it's the Lord that, that does it. I think that's good to remember. But then praying earnestly to him about the harvest, about sending more laborers out. They're like, I don't do that very often, I'll be honest. Um, but here it's commanded to pray about the harvest, about sending laborers into it. And here a lot of times he's telling these 72 to pray for, for sending laborers into the harvest and you know, and then like, and I'm sending you. You know, you are the answer to your prayer and hopefully... There's other people coming as well, but um, which kind of reminds me of uh, I read a, the George Mueller biography, and a lot of times the workers, if if you guys aren't, you guys probably know, um, but so he would never ask for money, and he ran an orphanage, and so they would just they would pray if they needed something, whether it be food, whatever, and said in the in his uh, biography, it said a lot of times. You know, as the workers were praying, you know, one of the workers would be like, actually, I do have, you know, more, more money here that I can give for this to feed the children for, for the next couple of days. Um, that, like I said, so a lot of times it was the workers that were praying for, uh, for providing for these children in the orphanage that would actually, they would be changed and be like, ah, I can, I can give more to this. Um, so I think that's a little bit behind that of like, pray for the laborers and the harvest. Part of it's to change us. And they're like, yes, I, I can give more here. Um, so as we get to verse 3 go your way behold I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves this is another one that kind of convicts me because if as I think about like top reasons that we might give for hesitant uh, for being for hesitating to boldly proclaim the gospel um, I think a, a fear of rejection or that it would go poorly or that you know it's how kind of along those lines would be one of the reasons that that would creep up in in my mind as a top one um and here we see in verse three just says straight up like i'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves basically like that's really no excuse that it could go poorly i'm telling you it it very well might go poorly (laughs) like but you are commanded to do it anyway um and so that even though this fear is it's not unfounded but we are commanded, and the 72 are, being, are, uh, are told that they are being sent as lambs among wolves. Um, and so they don't know. If they might go out there, and they might be attacked and persecuted. They might be hated by people. But God sends them out anyway, and he will be with them, and he will be for us if we go out as well. And then, uh, so carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, greet no one on the road. And 
this one kind of convicts me too. So basically I read the Bible and I get convicted all the time. So, <laughs> uh, which I, I suppose is a good thing. Hopefully the Lord helps me to act on that. Um, it just convicts me in just how much we overvalue stuff. Um, the 72 are told to take nothing. Can you imagine? It's like being like, all right, I'm going to go on this trip. You know, I, I kind of know where I'm going. I don't know how long I'm going. I don't know where I'm staying. I'm not taking any money. I'm actually not taking a change of clothes. I'm actually not taking shoes either. You know, and just walking off. And like, that's just like so, uh, it's something we would never do. Like nobody in our culture would ever do that. Um, yet when you're at that much of having nothing at all, think of how much you are relying on the power of God and the priority of the gospel that you, you see clearly here, you know, as you're doing this, that you need nothing except for Christ. That's all you need. And I think that's the point of it. Like, don't take food, don't take money, don't rely on your wits and all that type of stuff. It's not, you just go proclaim the gospel, God will provide. Yeah, so and just the idea that all, all we really need to do is just obey Christ and what great reason for rejoicing because we will be with him. A um, couple of quick points here, like verse five, whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. Just this idea that we are to come peaceably, you know, as much as we are able to have peace with all people, it's not, it's not an aggressive type of like, I'm trying to, trying to show people I'm smart. It's a, it's a peaceable thing. You're trying to bring peace. Um, and then the idea that the laborer deserves his wages, that, that preaching and going, you know, and going out and proclaiming the gospel, that if we have, you know, like, and we do this as a church, if somebody comes here and preaches, we do give them uh, some money, but it's here it's saying that, yes, they do deserve their wages. If they're going around preaching the gospel, um, they deserve to be taken care of, especially by other Christians. Um, and then whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Um, they eat what is set before you reminded me very much of another kid's book we read not that long ago. Um, and it was uh, an, an allegory of David's life as a kid. And uh, it's almost, almost exactly, it was live the life that is set before you was when uh, the Samuel figure told David, uh, his name wasn't David in the book, but David, you know, that he was going to be king. And, and David's like, but there's already a king. Like, it's treason to, for me to say I'm going to be king. You know, and, and the Samuel figure says, well, you know, you don't have to be treasonous. Just, you know, he's like, how am I supposed to fulfill all these prophecies and all this stuff? And he says, just live the life that's set before you. And that's what he kept telling him. And it just reminded me of that theme in that book that is just like, you know, you don't have to plot all these things out. You don't need these crazy schemes. Um, you don't need to, like, you just obey God and eat what is set before you. If, and it reminded me of when Paul says, you know, how he can be content in all situations, whether he has need or he has abundance. You just, whatever the Lord gives you, whether it's, whether it's not much or it's a lot, you give thanks and you are content, and you know that there will be seasons when there's not much, and you know that there will be seasons when God has provided richly for you. 
So I'm going down to uh, verse 10 here. So I'm going to read verses 10 through 12 again. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Um, reading this and thinking about it, one of the things that, that I was thinking was just that the kingdom of God being near is not good for everyone. <laughs> It's not good for, for those who are wicked, for those who disobey the Lord. And really, when you turn it on ourselves, it wouldn't be good for us. It would be death for us if it weren't for Christ. Um, and so, you know, taking it another step for, further, you know, basically it comes down to it is especially not good for those who reject Christ. That Christ was the way to save them from from the kingdom of heaven, from God coming, coming back. Christ, you know, stepped up and he gave his life so that, yes, you can be with him. You know, if you accept me, the kingdom of God coming near is everything you could ever hope it would be. All those bad things you have done have been paid for and you can be with God again. But if you reject that, like it shows right here, what's left? You know, just you have rejected him. It will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. And we all know what happened to Sodom. I mean, they had sulfur and brimstone rain down on them and were destroyed in a day. And God says, that's nothing. <laughs> like, for, they, didn't, they didn't have the scriptures. They didn't have Christ performing miracles in their streets. And, like, and these towns in Israel, they did. They, saw, they, they, they had the knowledge. They had the Messiah. They saw that, like, and even, even if they doubted, and it says in De- Deuteronomy about a prophet, you know, if, if what they say comes true, that's how you know he's from God. And, and so you see with Christ, as he's, all the things he's saying, first of all, even if they're not prophecies, just cut to the heart. Second of all, I'm sure he said a lot of things that came true shortly after. And third of all, he's doing miracles. And even the Pharisees say, you know, no one can, we know you're from God because nobody can do these miracles. And yet they reject him. And so we see here that God does not have uh, a lot of pity on them at this point. Where was I? Oh yeah, and just the idea here that it it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. That there is an element of responsibility that Sodom will the the people that lived in Sodom will not be punished as much, I guess, if you could word it that way. That for the people that had Christ and rejected Him, will be less bearable, I guess, if you want to use those words. Um, and so kind of, kind of going with that is he's talking to the 72 uh, and thinking of us proclaiming the gospel, telling it to our friends, our coworkers, you know, whoever it be, that it's important for us to remember that the success or rejection of the message we proclaim really doesn't have anything to do with us, um, that neither praise nor rejection ultimately come back to us. It's either praise or rejection of Christ. It's not about us. You know, our praise needs to be of Christ. Our message is of Christ. And their rejection of that message is not a rejection of us. It's a rejection of Christ. Or their acceptance of that message is not an acceptance of us. It's not a saying, wow, good job. No, it's saying Christ did this. It's all about Christ. It's not about me at all. So really, as you think it through, it's 
It's our duty to properly represent Jesus, and that should be our focus, to focus on Jesus, to accurately uh, proclaim the gospel, and then as far as the reaction that comes from it, that's really just a distraction that we should have, like, not, not be focused on. It's still just keep it on Jesus. That's, that's what it's all about. Um, and thinking of it, too, in these terms, as we are going out, as these 72 are going out, that we are ambassadors to this earth from a heavenly country. We, our citizenship is not here. Our home is not here. It's, in, it's, uh, it's with Christ. And we must remember, like the 72, that Christ will soon be coming after us. And I feel like, like when I picture this, I, I, I picture, I feel like, you know, like ancient war movies. I don't know, Mark probably will feel this one. You know, when like the emissary comes and he's like full of threats and stuff, and it, but it's just one guy, you know, and he's kind of weak, but he's got the whole power of whatever empire behind him. You know, they're like, <laughs> think, think carefully about how you treat that emissary. Um, because that could be very bad. Um, and we're like, we are like that. We are coming, and people might not think carefully about how you treat you, but we do have that whole power behind us, that Jesus is coming. And, I mean, he says that a few verses down, you know, in 16, the one who hears you hears me, and the one who rejects you rejects me. And the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. That we are in that position of emissary, ambassador, where, like, it's a role where we in a sense, we're protected. I mean, we're not protected from rejection uh, or, you know, they, they can do things to us, but it won't be forgotten and God will repay. And thinking also, as Jesus is coming, that anybody who's not a heavenly citizen, like he's bringing, he's bringing the sword next time. And so just thinking that, it's our job here to spread that word and pray that there would be more laborers going out there and you know, bringing more and more converts in that become citizens of heaven, that are no longer, that realize that the earth is not their home, that believe in Christ. And the more of them we do, the more when Christ comes back, they will, you know, they will be spared because he died for them. He paid the penalty that they would have had to pay. All right, just going to read uh, 13 through 16 here. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You shall be brought down to Hades. The one who hears you hears me, and the one who rejects you rejects me. And the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. Um, quick little note here. Chorazin. I want to point out the Bible mentions no works done in Chorazin. Um, and this just kind of reinforces, I think, this thought that we probably already know, um, but little little good backup info on this here, that Christ did so much it could not all be written down. That John wrote that, that's what John said. Um, and that the miracles and acts we see of Christ in the scriptures are just a small glimpse at Christ's life to show who he is and what he, what he does, what he's like. Um, but there is so much more that he actually did on this earth that there are a whole, you know, I mean, how many towns does it mention? A handful? And he, pro- 
He went through probably like almost every town in Israel doing miracles, healing everybody, where people came to him asking him questions and he gave, gave answers that, that just cut to people's hearts and just blew their minds. Um, and so just to realize that this is a little glimpse at the works of Christ. And so when we see Chorazin and he says, for the mighty works done in you, if the mighty works done in you had been done in tears, that yes, there were mighty works done in Chorazin and they should have believed because they saw things that nobody else got to see. Um, and just because the Bible doesn't say that, like I said, I think it's just evidence that Christ did a whole lot of stuff that isn't written down, which, like I said, I think we know. It's just a nice little reminder there. Um, so Tyre and Sidon, you know, he's the, those are a couple of cities that he brought up and they were obviously not Jewish, uh, but they were notoriously sinful places. And yet Jesus says his miracles would have caused repentance and belief in these places compared to Israel, which was hardened and would not believe despite having the scriptures and, you know, the Messiah, the prophets, all that stuff, Israel did not believe. And yet he says that these very sinful cities would have repented long ago had they seen those things. Um, and we also see this, which it's, we're backed up with this in history and in, I mean, Bible history as we go further back, we see Nineveh. You know, Jonah came and they didn't, they didn't see a miracle. It was just a prophet that came and said, you're about to be destroyed. And it wasn't even, it was a Jewish prophet, some guy that they probably should have hated. And he says, you're about to be destroyed. And they're like, oh no, what do we do? You know, that was their response. One of the, one of the most sinful cities in the history of mankind. And just a prophet comes and says, you know, you're about to be destroyed because of your sinful ways. And they repent. And then we also, I want to point out, uh, shortly after Christ died and the church is spreading, you see Corinth you know, develop quite a church. I mean, they obviously still had their problems. Like Athens, Rome, we're talking about like the seats of paganism. All convert. Um, and they, these were without the advantages that the Jews had. Um, and I do think that there's a lesson here to, for us to be cautious about. That sometimes it is easier for a person who isn't raised in the church, who doesn't have all that knowledge, who hasn't, you know, kind of been... What's the word for it? Desensitized to the message, to the Bible, to when, when the Bible or the message hits them, for it to hit them harder because they haven't been desensitized to it than for somebody who grew up with it and has grown accustomed to it. And sometimes, you know, it's, those messages can hit those people harder than they even hit, you know, us. The church, you know, when, when you're saying things like this and like, yeah, we heard them and we know we should do them, um, but we do this every week, which is good. But just, just kind of a warning there to realize that to not let ourselves be uh, desensitized or lulled just into, into, yes, we do church, we listen, we, we agree with what the, what the guy says for the most part, um, but to really have it let, it, let the Spirit convict us and let it hit us and let us cause, cause us to, to go forward in action. Let, us cha- let it change us. Um, and also just the idea here that just because uh, somebody is notoriously sinful, you know, you think, about, you think about some of the worst people you know, some of the, the meanest people, just the most whatever you want to say, that you'd be like, that is not a good person. That does not mean 
that they are less likely to believe in Christ. So verse 16, and I already kind of talked about this a little. The one who hears you hears me, and the one who rejects you rejects me, and the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. Um, Again, just this idea that as servants of Christ, we are viewed as an extension of Christ. We are ambassadors, and if we are doing our job, rejecting us has serious consequences. The message we share is the most important message in the world, and we are under the protection of the King of Kings. To hear our message is life, to reject it is death. It is our job to give that message, not because we are remarkable, but because our King and the message itself are beyond compare. Now, I'll just close in prayer. Dear Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your Holy Spirit and your Son. Just pray that you work in us, help us, help us to change, to keep changing, to grow, to grow closer to you. Help us to go out and proclaim your message, to, to uh, be good examples to our, uh, both people that don't know us and also to our, our family and our friends our, right in our close circle. Um, just that you keep working in us. Use your, use your uh, spirit on us. We thank you for the, the free ability we have to meet every week and help us to, to not, not grow complacent, but to, to stay fervently following you. In Jesus' name, amen.